0: I knew it was only a matter of time. Hope has been wanting to get some Def Leppard on this show. <laughs> That's a lie. For a while now. <laughs> <laughs> what better time? Animal from Def Leppard as we get into When Animals Attack by Popular Demand. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we're from madwolf.com. Check it out, won't you, for all your movie reviews. <laughs> uh, we've got the new Tom Hanks Inferno up uh, done by our friend Matt Weiner. Uh, we couldn't go see that right away because we were busy with a certain world series. Go Tribe. <laughs> but uh, one, of our, uh, one of our writers, Matt Weiner, covered it. So check that out. And we're getting into some serious, serious Oscar time here in the next few weeks. Yes. We're going to get into some blockbusters, Doctor Strange coming out, and some, some really heavy hitters as far as the awards season uh, goes. So check it out here in the next few weeks. There's some good stuff coming. But we are talking about when animals attack. We've been teasing this for a while and we've gotten some good contributions, some good ideas, but first we gotta take care of some business from
1: last time. Cause we did. Best zombie comedies, and we kinda knew that it was gonna piss some people off. And it did. Um, not everybody. A lot of people were kinda happy with things. I know our friend Tom Howard was hoping to see Dead Alive on there and so, and it, it, it was close. It was a close call. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, we knew some people were be maybe irritated at where Sean of the Dead fell and, uh, our old buddy Knack Mac was, <laughs> um, And then our friend Silas, it's funny, the two of them just took off on their own conversation on Twitter back and forth and back and forth. Well, that's what
0: we're about, bringing people together. (laughs) That's right. Even when they're fighting. That's right. I know. Uh, He didn't like that Zombieland was number one. No. Now, you know, taking nothing away from Shaun of the Dead, I'm I'm not, but Zombieland,
1: come on. Right. Old man Spencer had our back. He he thought he was going to be mad when he saw that uh, Shaun of the Dead was number two, but then when he saw it was number one, he was back on our team. Thank you. Um, And then I think, so Silas, I think, was okay with it except for... As you know, he doesn't care for the clowns. <laughs> so
0: <he laughs> there was something about burning them alive, There's <laughs>
1: something. Yeah.
0: So the clown—he didn't like the clown in Zombieland. I love that part. Oh my god, it's the best.
1: I mean, it's not the best. The best is the shootout inside the little kiosk. At oh my god, that's that is one of my all-time favorite scenes in any movie ever. Is when Tallahassee is in there just shooting <laughs> it out, and you think, oh my god, he's bound to die. But but I love
0: the clown part. Oh, the clown is great. Uh, but it has yeah, it has plenty of great great scenes and, and the best cameo ever. Oh. We spoiled it last time, didn't we, Bill Murray? Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we won't make the same mistake, no, I No, we will. Come
0: on. That statute of limitations, uh, yeah. if you haven't seen it now and have, you haven't seen all the references to that cameo, I'm sorry. It's so great. It's not like we're... Apparently something big happened on The Walking Dead this past week that everybody was up in arms about. Now, we can't spoil that because we don't watch it. Right. But it's what I'm saying is it's not like spoiling <clears> that. <throat> These shows come out, and then the very next day you see everybody talking about them on on social media and people are mad we don't do that that's easy for us because we don't watch tv (laughs) and that's one of the reasons we can't get anybody mad we can't we so we have no idea what happened but enjoy it won't you um (laughs) so we do have we want to get on your calendar the next edition of fright club live (gasps) which is coming up here soon man the calendar uh, calendar is just turning uh, November the 9th. Yes. It's early this time. It's always the second weekend in a month. Second so, Wednesday. So I'm sorry. It's always the second Wednesday in a month. And this time, November 1st falls on a uh, Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Yeah. So we're into it quickly. Uh, November 9th, we're going to talk about our favorite weirdos.
1: Right. That's great. Yeah, I'm excited about that. That should be a fun countdown. And also, we're going to show the movie May. Yeah. By Directed by Lucky McKee. Why do I bring that up, George? I have no idea. Name, he retweeted us. Name dropper.
0: <laughs> tweet dropper.
1: That's right. Because we um, uh, we did a uh, scary movie a day countdown all through October. And a couple of days ago, it was The Woman, a film that we both love to pieces. And he retweeted that. And I was in the middle of a conversation when it showed up on my phone. And I completely lost track of whatever the hell I was talking about and had a bit of a seizure. So yeah, I was excited. That was Yay. very
0: cool. And by the way, we've been doing this movie-a-day Halloween countdown for years. Yeah. And I know we weren't the first, but now we've already kind of decided amongst ourselves. Everybody does it now. Everybody does. We have to think of something better for next Halloween. Right. Because everybody does a movie-a-day countdown. So, you know, we want to... you have thoughts. We want to zig when they zag. Yeah, if you have thoughts, let us know. Uh, so anyway, that's looking ahead a little bit, but we've been teasing this when animals attack for a while, and we are fi- finally ready. But
1: first, there's at least one ground rule, Right. Right. Because there are billions and billions of these, and so we narrowed it down to no mutants. So, like Piranha, for example. Okay. You're not going to have—not that Piranha would necessarily make the list, but you're not going to have anything where— Or the sharks from Deep Blue Sea. Right. They're kind of mutants. Right, right. So it's not going to be—it's just, just going to be randomly, for no good reason, animals attack. All right. Uh-oh. And actually, a uh, senior Aussie correspondent, Corey Metcalf, he lobbied hard for some Aussie animal attacks— I'm not, I don't think he's going to be entirely disappointed. That's all I'm saying.
0: Well, we always hear that Australia is just lousy with animals that will kill you. Yes. How, how Corey survived all this right. time, Sharks? I don't know. Right.
1: Sharks, gators, poisonous snakes, poisonous spiders. It's also the continent under the hole in the ozone. Uh, they must be the hardiest group of people on Earth. And Thor comes from there, so that's just testament <laughs> to the fact that maybe it's true.
0: That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. Um, okay. So we'll jump in with number five, and this this goes to show you right here that there, the quality of films are a little lacking on the low it's, end. Yeah, it's really on true. On the low end. There because, are loads
1: and loads of animal attack movies. Most of them are not very good.
0: Okay. Uh, so number five, just under the wire, it's Cujo from 1983. Nothing that lives in the imagination is more frightening than the terror that lives in Castle Rock, Maine. Cujo? Can he eat his way in here? Can he? Oh, my God! Oh, 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 oh. Now there's a new name for terror. What? Cujo. A Stephen King offering, and one that he has admitted several times that he was into his alcohol addiction at the time, and he really doesn't remember writing this book. Wow. So, (laughs) but uh, we remember the movie, and um, the animal is a St. Bernard. (laughs) And the thing about it is, I know there's editing, and it just doesn't look ferocious.
1: I think that's one of the hard things about uh, dog movies, because it doesn't, they just are always wagging their tails. (laughs) You know, it's like, dogs love you.
0: Yeah, well, that's the funny thing, because... The dogs that they used in this film, they often had to, when they're making it, they often had to tie their tails down because they would enjoy themselves so much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretending to attack people. That's that's a good point because, yeah, especially St. Bernard's, even when they're having fun, because I have to tell my St. Bernard story. When I was a kid, we had, for a time, we had a big St. Bernard as a pet named Baron. We eventually had to give it away because it was way too big for the city. We gave it to a farmer out on a farm. He could run all day. But anyway.
1: Well, that's what your parents told you. Happened. That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> uh, but I was in grade school, young, young grade school. And to, to get in my door. <laughs> I love this story. I had to. I kept a box of uh, dog biscuits outside under a bush because when I came in, he was on a chain. And I had to throw a dog biscuit out in the yard so he would go chase it so i can get into my door cuz
1: you could run before he came and yeah, attacked you yeah, because, dino
0: fred flintstone style exactly and he would just knock me down and lick me of course he had no <laughs> you know no evil uh, you know no evil ambitions wasn't going to bite me but the thing was huge just a <laughs> huge big dog so i had to try to outsmart him to get in but yeah much too big for the city we gave him away everything was fine i believe the story my parents told me <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so yeah, that was the case here. They just don't look ferocious. They try to put you know some fake blood around their around their mouths and everything, and you can all you can tell now in watching it, all this quick editing to get out of the way before it looks like he's overly friendly. But you know, they create that tension, I guess, when they're stuck in the car uh and, have, and in between the house and the car is of course the dog breaking the windows, trying to get in. But uh, there's a reason why it's number five, and I would say it probably barely made the list.
1: It it did, actually. There was another film uh, called Burning Bright, which is about a tiger. Oh, Meatloaf. <laughs> meatloaf is in that. And and um, I always kind of liked that. I always kind of had a soft spot yeah. for that one. And so I was really back and forth with that. And it's funny. We talked about this uh, with our friends who are also listeners, Charlie and Megan. And if I recall correctly, there were some beers being being had at the time. What? I know. And but I think that they were both against having Kujo on this list, so mm-hmm. I apologize for that. But Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed Burning Bright in a B movie kind of way. Exactly. Yeah. It's
0: uh yeah the tiger. It it it, it, it uh, the whole premise was kind of ridiculous, but then it kind of grew on you after yeah. a while. There's a tiger in this house? Yeah. What's and up are, with that? There
1: are some sort of really cool creepy shots. But it's wildly unbelievable. But the, the supporting cast is great. The lead is, is not,
0: is not. You know, years later, The Hangover showed us how a tiger in the house can be fun. Right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, Burning Bright, not so fun. Um. An interesting, one interesting thing, thing about Cujo is that character, there's a character of Sheriff Bannerman. Yeah. Also appears in The Dead Zone. Mm. Uh. It, the, the, the original novel functions as an indirect sequel as the killer is mentioned several times and may have possessed Cujo. Now that's, Something we could talk, we could rely on our Stephen King correspondent and expert, NACMAC, to to confirm. Right. But that is the story anyway. There's an indirect sequel, maybe, link between the two books.
1: I do think, though, well, so Dee Wallace is the star, and she's she's a very reliable um, actor in, in horror films. And she's stuck in the car with her son, uh, who would go on to be on, who, who's the
0: boss. Who's the boss, yeah. Right?
1: Daniel Pintaro. But... Um, and he has he's having an asthma attack, so she needs to get out of the car to get his asthma medicine. So there there is, um, you know, there's a very there's a decent amount of claustrophobic tension that's generated in the film that I, I appreciate. And her clothes, what is she wearing? <laughs> it's like she walked out of Little House in the Prairie the whole time. I'm like, do maybe, people dress like that? Maybe that's
0: why the dog is mad in the first place. <laughs> Don't know. But Cujo comes in at number five from 1983, and we move from dogs to Crocs from 2007 it's rogue from down under i'm supposed to catch a boat cruise from here i'm a travel writer for a magazine saltwater crocodile it's probably the most dangerous member of the crocodilian family so they can swim underwater at up to 20 miles an hour without making a ripple on the
1: surface and they can burst out to attack with incredible speed don't worry man we're perfectly safe on this boat I won't attack anything
0: bigger than that. How big is this
1: boat? Big
0: enough. Yeah, so there. Corey ought to be happy with that's this. Right. One. Got that's right, that's right. It's Australian for you, Corey. Australian flavor with the giant croc.
1: And you can I mean there are a bunch of crocodile movies, including and or an alligator movies. It's funny because uh what's interesting, one of the things about Cujo is that the director, Louis Teague, also directed. Alligator, you know the one where they they flush an alligator down the sewer and then it grows to enormous size, <laughs> which Alligators is written by John Sayles, weirdly in enough. The sewers, right? So there are a lot of crocodile slash alligator movies, and there's another Australian one because they're just again lousy with gators, uh, crocs, I suppose they're lousy with crocs. Um, Black water, mm-hmm. which was which was a close. The same call. year, yeah. Um, it's it's good, but it's not as good, I think, and and uh, pr- probably because Greg McLean, who did. Wolf Creek, yeah. which we love. And he, John
0: Jarrett is in this. Yes, he He's is in Rogue.
1: this. He is in this. And a very, very, very different character. Um, uh, uh, you want to smack him the entire time. <laughs> and you feel like you could get away with smacking this character. The not so much uh, no. Wolf Creek. No, no. Uh, but, but also, um, Roda Mitchell, who is so good, you know, in everything.
0: <clears throat> yeah, she's reliably good, but not one of those people that gets a lot of attention she's just right. quietly solid yes. in, in almost everything yeah and she's the the tour guy she
1: is she is and she's kind of you know reluctantly convinced to take the off the beaten path on this river tour and they they get stuck and they have to um you know their their raft gets bumped gets ruined and they have to take shelter on this like mud island that obviously is not going to last for too much longer and it's a rogue gator croc, croc. must be a croc i'm sorry i keep yeah. saying that the thing about so many of these movies is that they're stupid. Is that they're badly written, uh-huh. and the behavior is ridiculous. And I, you really don't find that here. They're, they're, the characters, sometimes they do feel familiar in a film like this, but, but they're really well-performed.
0: And Well, the lead guy from, from TV, I think Michael Vartan, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's kind of bland. He's pretty weak. Yeah, but, uh, but you love John Jarrett yeah. and Radha Mitchell. And I love that this movie falls under the, the blanket of Ozploitation. <laughs> I love that. Maybe Corey can confirm that, but Ozploitation.
1: I also think that the, the animal looked good, which is another thing that is relatively uncommon yeah. in this
0: kind of a movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Croc. Uh, Rogue Croc from 2007. Ozploitation. That comes in at number four. And we're staying in the water uh, for 2003. Our number three when animals attack open water.
1: Daniel, where's the boat? That's
0: a good question.
1: Because we are stuck in the middle of the ocean! Oh, God! This can't be happening! Oh, my God! Oh! God. oh. 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 Susan! Susan! Oh, oh God! something's rubbing against my foot! Right? <laughs> <Seriously>? <laughs> 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 we We screened this movie i I wrote a review for this film, and we screened this movie right before we went on vacation and we we dive <laughs> yeah and uh, so that was a stupid but then the other <laughs> thing that's funny is uh, I sat next to a colleague of George's who said. I can't believe this is a true story. It's amazing that they survived. And while I didn't say anything, I think my face gave it away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're laughing. But unfortunately, it is. It is based on a true story. Right. Uh, that they, as far as I recall, they just, they never found right. the couple. Right, They found like a, a, a note. You know, you have those, those uh, things that you can carry with you, uh, scuba diving, that you can write message on. It's not like it's paper. Right. But uh, they did find some sort of correspondence, I think, from, so it's a, it's a horrible story, um, obviously, and yeah, we don't want to give away if you haven't seen this movie, but um, it's it's tense because they this couple scuba diving gets left behind right by and it makes it the movie does make it plausible. And I, I mean, think incredibly so. You know, when we go scuba diving, we we go we haven't really been on any huge boats. No, where you have like so lots many of tourists now, but they always call your name and you have to answer back. Hey, here. And And they do this on this boat, and they do make it seem plausible they do how they don't know that they're not on the boat right so um and especially since we we do dive that it make it with, okay yeah that that doesn't seem really crazy, but anyway, they get lo-, lo- they get left behind, and
1: obviously you know what's going to come calling sharks yeah I, I think um one of the things that makes this film it's really powerful film, and I think it is the authenticity that that makes it so powerful the two performances they you know they just play a married couple and they seem like a married couple they mm-hmm. very definitely do and um and it's it's a really simple very streamlined storyline but also so chris kentis wrote and directed it and he hasn't gone on to, to i i really expected more from him after this film because not only are the performances great not only you know is the story very taut but the way he frames things is just brilliant yeah. and there's one particular shot you know, and uh, where, you know, she feels something and she's not sure what it is. And she's, she's actually panicked because she can't quite find her husband. She's looking around, but while she's panicked and looking around, the camera turns and moves up and up and up. And all you can see under her are just these massive forms, all of these sharks underneath of her. So what happens, obviously nobody's going to take you scuba diving in shark infested waters, but when the boat leaves and you start drifting, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I think, th- I mean, it's a really well-made, well-told film.
0: Yeah, it was chilling. And it was financed by director Chris Kendis and his wife, uh, who's a producer. And they're both avid scuba divers. And the movie cost about $150,000 to make and was later bought by Lionsgate for $2.5 Nice. After it had its screening at Sundance. So, yeah, they really do a lot with comparatively little. I mean, with that sort of budget, that's, that's pretty small. Uh, and they are able to just ring really great amounts of tension and as, as you say framing the shot cuz they're out there in the middle yeah. you know of the ocean right. and and it, that that you know that idea alone is terrifying it is and then the way they the way they frame it and also anytime you have a movie that involves sharks everybody jaws comes to mind and they make a little homage that the two characters Susan and Daniel you never really get their last names but they are revealed on their id cards her last name is watkins and his is kintner Oh, Kittner,
1: I remember. Kittner,
0: Alex Kittner, the boy in Jaws, and Watkins, Chrissy Watkins, is the girl at the very beginning ah. of Jaws. So you know, nice little homage there. They know what you know what area they're in anytime you you do a shark movie. But this one is very unlike Jaws, um, but yet it's yeah, it's just primally chilling
1: and 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 never heavy handed. You know? No. Um, with the shark footage or, you know, with a score or just with anything, you know, it feels like he went out of his way to make it feel as realistic as possible, which I think is much of the reason for its success.
0: And another one you wanted to bring up talking about open water is Lost Weekend.
1: Well, I just, you know, it was the same idea, like a getaway, you know, a couple's getaway. And so last weekend, another exploitation, but from back in the day, which I don't love, to be honest with you. And I, one of the reasons I want to bring it up is because I think a lo- a lo- it shows up on a lot of lists. It's like a swingers, couples retreat kind of a situation, yeah, baby. you know, and, and especially back in the day, swingers don't fare well in um, horror films. And like all of the animals attack and it's just and then they remade it not too long ago. And uh, as is. Generally, the case. The remake is worse. It's just not super. I just don't care for it. So I just wanted to bring it up because I think a lot of people are going to be like, oh, I think they forgot last weekend. We didn't. We just don't like it. You just want to bring it up because you're a hater. I'm a hater. That's why. Open Water
0: is number three, and you know we've got two biggies at the top. Uh, you can probably guess what they are. Which one is going to be number one? Well, number two is going to be back in 1963 Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. There's no reason to be afraid.
1: Birds are not aggressive creatures, miss. They bring beauty into the world.
0: That might be true for one bird, but thousands of birds, that's a different story.
1: I hardly think a few birds are going to bring about the end of the world. I think you're the cause of all this.
0: One of the most terrifying films of all time, The Birds. A classic from Hitchcock and Tippy Hedron, uh, who we got to meet. We did. And you got a picture with her, and she's holding up a fake bird yep. over your head at, uh, at Horror Hound back, oh, that's been five For, or so years yeah. ago. But uh, we kind of waited. We saw her just when she took a break uh, and went to get a drink or a bathroom or something, and then... We kind of got in line right when she came back, so we didn't have to wait too long. Yeah. Kind of seized that moment, but that was great. It you was know? Just to have get a chance to to meet somebody from such a classic movie because, you know, this is this is one well Hitchcock, any almost anything Hitchcock, you can just watch it over and over again and always kind of see something new.
1: Yeah, you know, and not all of the uh, the bird footage stands up particularly well, but. There is so much about the way he filmed it, uh, which is always the case, right? I oh mean, yeah, you know so his the when he does an aerial shot, you know the 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 shot where he's looking, the camera is looking down on the gas station is yeah. maybe the most perfectly filmed shot in the entire in the entire movie, but there's just so much weirdness going on with the if you just take the birds out of it. What's going on with the characters? As always, right. they're weird. They're just a bunch of weirdos. Well, and the what's way the deal she... with you and your mom? And what's the deal with Susan Plachette? And what's going on with this party?
0: And the way she, Tippi Hedren, <laughs> the way she pursues Rod Taylor. So bizarre. It's, uh, it is, it's so bizarre. But I like it because then there's, a, uh, there's that scene later where um, Jessica Tandy mm-hmm. is just yelling that it's her fault. You know, she's evil. Oh, no, it wasn't Jessica Tandy. That It was the other old lady. Uh, who's yelling, you know, it's your fault, you're evil. And who's it's Jessica Tandy? That yells at that? I didn't think it was her. But I know she's in the movie, obviously. But anyway, you know, kind of draws that subtle parallel between what this woman is right. doing so with she's, Rod right, Taylor. Right.
1: She's the outsider, and she's yeah. come in, yeah. and she's sort of tainted this little, you yeah. know, idyllic community, right at the same time that these birds have come in, and, yeah. and they're also wreaking havoc.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Uh between the characters, like you say, between the characters and what they're doing at the same time these birds are attacking, which is, you know, just the idea is kind of I, I'm, it's kind of weird to be scared of. I know you're scared of birds. I am afraid of birds. But birds are not, you know, they're not going to come off the top of your head to think, ooh, what, what savage animal can I make a movie about? And as we've talked about before when we talk about, uh, was it Don't Look Now that was based on mm-hmm. a Daphne du Maurier mm-hmm. story? Mm-hmm. Uh, this was too. Uh, the Birds was a story that she wrote, but I guess Hitchcock changed it quite, or his wife. quite a bit, or his wife, yeah, changed it quite a bit. But that's uh, she wrote the original core story, and there were different endings uh, considered. In fact, one of them that was considered was to have shown the Golden Gate Bridge at the very end, just completely covered by birds. That would have been cool. A little freaky there. Yeah. Huh? But um, So I don't know which one. I haven't read the, the original short story, so I don't know exactly how it uh, ended. But uh, that would be that would have been an interesting one. Mm-hmm. That, that's almost on the order of Planet of the Apes. Yes, I think wouldn't it have been. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but uh, it's or a zombie movie. And yeah. it, the thing about it is. Birds is a zombie movie. It's just that they've replaced zombies with birds. I mean, anything that has a swarm of something that's mm-hmm. after you and you have to hole up inside of a house. You know, it's it's very much along those lines. And I am afraid of birds. I'm terrified of birds. <laughs> and and it's it's nothing that's rational. But they're just going to like swoop down at you. They've got sharp claws and beaks, and they're they're filthy and creepy as shit. I hate birds. Uh,
0: well, but but it's another a testament to filmmaking that you can make a movie about mm-hmm. birds mm-hmm. so terrifying it is it's true and you always have to think okay how how did they handle that and admittedly by today's standards some of the shots mm-hmm. look a little hokey mm-hmm. but you know consider it was 1963 but rod taylor uh, has claimed that the seagulls that they did use the live seagulls they used were fed a mixture of wheat and whiskey just to get <gasps> just to get them to stand around so much <laughs> feed them wheat and feed them whiskey and then the sound um, they used the sound of reel-to-reel tape being run backward and forward over and over to help create this, the sound of the birds squawking. Mm. That did sound a little weird.
1: It did. It did. You know, speaking of weird, I think in retrospect, my favorite scene has nothing to do with actual birds. It's at the birthday party, right? And Rod and Tippy in there. She's in her heels. They're carrying martini glasses, and they just climb this rugged, rocky cliff to look out yeah. and drink a martini in the wind and then turn around and, oh, I can't have one more. I'm driving back tonight. Glug, 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 glug. <laughs> and I've, I've climbed this rocky path in my high heels with my martini glass. It was, It's just, the movie is just bizarre.
0: I just, I really like, in addition to the shots of just the, the attacks from the birds, I just, as you alluded to, I just really like the juxtaposition between the attacking birds and the weird actions of the characters right it's this very something socially there's there's just something not right about everybody right you know just as there's not right about these birds and it you know it's it's a movie any like we said anytime you talk about hitchcock you can break it down in so many different ways about how brilliantly he he produced and presented a story but this is one of them and incidentally it was first aired this was first aired on TV in the USA in 1968, and it was at that time it was the highest-rated film shown on TV, and it wasn't broken until they showed Love Story in 1972. But this got the huge number five years after it hit the theaters.
1: One of the—another off-brand movie I wanted to bring up, though, because there is a parallel here. Tippi Hedren um, and her daughter, Melanie Griffith starred in uh, Noel Marshall's Roar, which is horrible but infamous— because they used real wild animals and loads of yeah. the crew and, and actors were injured. The animals were not injured, but loads of the people who were hired to work in the film were injured by these animals. It's a wild film. It's not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. But if you just get the chance, have a look because it is a freak show.
0: Yeah, it really is. And that one, they they released that a few years ago just to a, a certain,
1: yeah, certain yeah.
0: big screen showing. Mm-hmm. And I know they had it here. And it did. It caused caused a ruckus when it came out. Right. Because yeah, these wild lions, right? You know, walking around out in the people hanging by the pool. It's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah, and that is uh, the birds number two from 1963. So you know, number one when animals attack has got to be Jaws.
1: (laughs) There is a creature alive today who has survived
0: millions of years of evolution. It is as if God
1: created the devil and gave him Jaws. <laughs> you better need a bigger part. None of man's fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of Jaws.
0: You know what's cool? Just the other day I saw an ad for a Jaws shirt, and all it had was the words, the lyrics to... Show me the way nice. to go home. And then at the end, at the very end, I'm tired, I don't want to go to bed. It just had a shark fin. Nice. Like, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's such a great movie, and I'll tell the story quickly, again, I think I have, that I got to see this being filmed uh, when it was filmed uh, off Martha's Vineyard. We were vacationing. We went to uh, Joe Namath, had a football camp at Nichols College right up there, uh, off right off of Martha's Vineyard. And when we went over... To Martha's Vineyard, we saw these people walking around with these Jaws T-shirts on, and we were aware of the book, and uh, we quickly learned that they were filming the movie. And it's not like we saw them filming scenes, but we saw like the the setups out in the water, like the scaffold. We could see, so you stood there on the shore and you could see them there. You couldn't really make out much movement, but um, I'll claim that I saw it being filmed. So, <laughs> so there you go. And then because of that. We wanted to make sure. We saw it the very first day it came out in theaters. Um, and, of course, it's it still looked at today It's probably the first blockbuster. Right. The first summer blockbuster because it set all sorts of box office records. But So no one had seen it. Hardly anybody had seen it. And I just remember when that head rolled out of the boat, I, the guy behind me, I got his popcorn and, <laughs> and some of his drink. All over the back of my head. Uh, And who could blame him? Because that got me too. And just one of many classic, classic shots in this movie. It's another one. I've seen this movie probably 30 times. And I'll watch it again tonight. If it's on, it's so good.
1: It is one of those movies that it's on TV all the time. And it doesn't matter where you come in or how late it is. It's like, oh, Jaws is on. And you just watch the rest of it. It's, It's very nearly a perfect film. A lot of people don't consider it a horror movie. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, I think, and I can see that argument, but it's, it's definitely a creature feature. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I think between, well, here's the thing. It's terrifying. It scared. Everybody who watched it. it is a terrifying movie and it made people afraid to go in the ocean. And it does so many things right. In fact, we, a lot of times
0: when we're talking about movies, probably on this podcast and many other times. It's a classic example of less is more. Absolutely. They wait so long to give you any good look at the shark, and it just works so well. Yeah, it does. It builds that tension. Of course, the score is fantastic. It's epic. Uh, You know, the editing is what's one of the best editing jobs you're going to find. I mean, when it first came out, because Spielberg was so young at the time, I think 27, uh, a lot of people kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, gave his editor, Verna Fields, well, she should be, you know, co-director of this. Of course, we didn't know what you know Spielberg had in store, but at the time, he was looked at as kind of a bratty young filmmaker, yeah. and here he is. What's this guy doing? But just such a great, great piece of filmmaking, and it's another case where the the movie improves on the book so much because I did read the book before seeing the movie, and the ending. Even though it's implausible, whatever as a, as a movie goes, the ending in the movie is so much better because in the book the shark just gets tired and dies. That's it. Yawn, yawn, <laughs> and he blows it up.
1: Smile, you son of a bitch. That's awesome. It is, and the the you know the trio, they're just so perfect. Roy Scheider, he's so he's so great in this movie, but but he's offset perfectly by the other two.
0: Yeah, and he was a. You know, he had some solid roles. He was the the friend uh, in The French Connection, Mm -hmm, the partner, mm -hmm. and he'd had some solid roles. So his face was you know recognizable, but it's not like he was a big star, which was perfect. Yeah. Um, because legend has it, Charlton Heston wanted this role, wanted the role of Brody, very very badly. That'd have been terrible. Well, and then Steven Spielberg just thought, well, if he's if he's the chief, then you know right away how it's going to turn out. He's going to be the hero. Right. Right. It was perfect to have somebody like Roy Scheider who embodied that kind of every man, kind of unlikely hero kind of guy. Yeah.
1: Well, and then between the other two, right? Uh, Robert Shaw, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, he was perfect. great. Yeah. And- but, you know, I mean, Richard Dreyfuss was also really, really great. He just, he, you wanted to hate him because he was such like a, a, you know, just this impish, but he had such a great, such great comic timing throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, they really
0: played off each other really well. It's a great, a great trio. And in fact, Roy Scheider, um, improvise the line you're gonna need a bigger boat wow. which is just perfect just classic.
1: Probably the most iconic line in the movie.
0: Yeah. And uh, well, this is not a boat accident. that would be those two. That one's pretty good too. Well you've <laughs> you've got to tell the story about the arm because right. that was not at the at the very beginning when they find on the beach, when they find uh, Chrissy Watkins um, arm remains. Right. They wanted to use some fake, you know, fake appendages, but it just didn't
1: look right. So they needed somebody's arm and who was it it was it was my it was my sister's friend and she has it my, joy showed us my sister joy um uh, who lived in Boston for a long time and she showed us this great photo that was framed and you can see so her friend was down in like a sand you know dugout little trench and her arm was up sticking out but she didn't know they were going to put crabs on it so in the photo, you can see her arm, you can see the crabs, you can see her kind of screaming down there. And out <laughs> in the distance, you can see Spielberg laughing.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing that photo. It's it's great. Um, so that's a little another little story that you get to tell about this movie. But um, it's shot so well. You know, the point of view of the camera, He he shot about a quarter of it from water level. Mm-hmm. Just to provide that perspective as if you're in the yeah. water, you're treading water and how everything is framed is just great.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, all of the underwater shots with the legs kicking and everything, I mean, yeah. that really hadn't been done much before this movie. And it, it is, it's just terrifying. When he gives you the the shark's eye view, it's just it's creepy. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then the other famous shot is what's come to be known as the jaw shot right, absolutely. while he's on the beach. And it comes in while it goes out at the same time, which I guess that's not really the first a lot of historians point to the shot that was used in Truffaut's Fahrenheit 451, sure. which is very, very similar, and probably the first instance of this kind of shot. And it's been used several times since then. But boy, it creates such a fantastic effect because you realize at the time it it, it drives home the point that he knows he should have closed the beach. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh no, just what I've been terrified of has happened, and. I'm to blame because I could have stopped this and you get that in the way it goes in but it goes out right. and that's a weird way to describe
1: it but uh, it works so well not on a on a scary level but on a character level yeah. character level as well. And I you know I think that's one of the reasons that that Scheider was so perfect for this because you know he was so human. You know he was he had these weaknesses and and he was conflicted and 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 so the, this drive to do the right thing Sort of takes over, but again, it's never heavy-handed. He, his performance is just outstanding.
0: Yeah, uh, every everything about it. It's hard to find any weaknesses in the film. And you're right. I think it's just been I don't know a few months ago when it was on, and I just left it on. We're gonna yep. watch it again. Yep.
1: <laughs> you can't <laughs> the, help it.
0: The only thing wrong with that is when commercials come in uh, and interrupt it. Because man, because we this past July Fourth, you. Saw it for the first time ever. I'd
1: never on, on the big, on big screen, screen on the big screen. I'd never seen it on a big screen before. Yep. And uh, yeah, it holds up. And I would always wanted to. Right. Because it's a scary movie. And because, you know, the idea of seeing of being like overcome by the size of the shark. Yeah. You know, uh, it, yeah, it, it was. I loved it. Yeah.
0: I'm glad we did that because so many theaters now have started to show it every July 4th. Right. Because it's based around July 4th holiday. Weekend, but uh, yeah, I hadn't seen it on the big screen in years, and I'm so glad I did. Mm -hmm. I think that was the last movie my dad may have seen in the theater (laughs) when I was a kid. I wanted to go see it so many times, and he went with me one time, and he was amused by it. That that might have been the very last movie he ever saw in the theater, but uh, it's so good, and that is why it's number one on our when animals attack countdown. Hard to argue with that, but if you want to, here we are on Twitter is a is a fun way as we bring people together to argue. Uh, we're at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F, also uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook. And as I said, mark it down if you're in the Central Ohio Columbus area. We would love to see you at the Gateway Film Center on High Street in Columbus, November the 9th, for Fright Club Live. We're going to talk about our favorite weirdos. I'm looking forward to that one. And uh, we're going to see May.
1: It should be awesome.
0: It should be great. It's such a good movie. And what else we got coming as for the topics for the next few weeks? I know you're also, I know you're working on the next 12 months of movies for our Fright Club Live, so we don't want to spill that yet, but just say that there's some goodies coming.
1: Oh, there are. Yeah, I was very excited to do it. It took me a lot longer than I expected because I started off with a pool of like 30, and then I had to like pare it down, and I tried not to make the same mistake I made this year of having martyrs, and Eden Lake back-to-back, back because it, it that they're very punishing. Yeah. So I'm doing a better job of alternating. If I'm going to punish you one month, then maybe a zombie comedy the next month or something like that. And so. I might
0: even get to pick one mm. in the next 12 months, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe? Maybe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so we look forward to it. Uh, get in touch. Um, as I said, madwolf.com, uh, madwolf on Twitter, and tell us what you think of when animals attack, and if you have any recommendations any favorite weirdos
1: yeah we let would us love,
0: know love to hear from you so uh until then um this is the fright club podcast I'm George Wolf I'm Hope Madden and stay frightful my friends go
1: tribe Woo!